Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We are going to be talking with Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford about kind of what's happened this year and what might happen later in the year. And you know, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. It's a... It's good we're doing this because I'm tired of hot weather and no rain. So, I know. And complain I, to Trent I, now. Yeah, I think you know, after we complain to Trent, things will change because he has that power. He has that authority to make the weather change, right? Isn't that, so. isn't that, that's why meteorologists always get such a hard uh, rap because they're like, I'm just reporting what the models are telling me what's happening. So, yeah, but uh, Ken and I, we were before the show talking about some of the, um, plants we're putting in the ground this fall and boy is our soil dry at least here in macomb um i mean it's just it's it's hard as a rock uh, i chip it into a powder and i i put plants in and then i watered them as best i could but but honestly after this i am headed right back outside with the hose in my hand to water some of these shrubs and things that we put in the ground because uh, i was expecting a bit rain and we never really got it this last weekend how about how about you, Ken? Same way in Jacksonville, nice and dry. I had uh, we watered areas we we're going to plant first, so we could dig. Um, and then we've been watering every night. We we kind of gave up watering for a little bit because most of the vegetable garden died. But not looking forward to getting back into the watering multiple times a week <laughs> routine. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it's not looking good. And and it, really for us, uh, I'm looking at some of our trees that have already started to drop lots of leaves. Some of them have even skipped the fall color phase and have just gone right into leaf drop. Uh, our ash has started to do that. I mean, that's just, our, our, we have a white ash typically turns purple to yellow colored and it's not even doing that. And I'm got leaf piles already. So it, it's an early leaf drop tree species in general, but usually I get some color and I'm not getting any of that this year. So have you seen any early leaf turn in Jacksonville? Yeah, there's some trees here and there starting to turn. Um, I think the stuff in our yard, well, we've got one of the, the Crimson King maples that's pretty much dead. It's planted too deep and it's got barks yes. falling off. I mean, so, oh, darn. <laughs> I am very excited. I, I think those trees are ugly. I think I've said that many times on the show, but yeah, um, I think that's the reason it's dying. I mean, the drought doesn't help, but mm -hmm. it's it's almost bare. Now, but we've got other trees in, in the neighborhood starting to drop stuff already. Yeah. Well, it'll be the season pretty soon. So, well, I, I mean, we we should introduce our special guest for today so that we can uh, lament all together and, and Trent can make us feel better. So uh, please welcome uh, Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that it's a podcast and not taking calls because I think that it'd be the same kind of thing <laughs> where people just call to complain about what happened this year. So exactly. it's a tough one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean... We do have a lot of questions kind of about this year. So I'd say, Ken, could you just kick us off, please? Because we just want to dive right into this uh, right away. All right. We've we've kind of hinted at this already, but what's up with the weather uh, this last year? So we had almost no snow, at least in this area. Uh, droughts in the spring, some rain in July, and dry again. So what what's going on with all this? This year has been weird, um, and and it, yeah, you say that about every year, but this year has been 
has been particularly strange. So like you mentioned, going back to last winter, we had very little snow all across the state. Um, in Champaign, we had seven inches total for the for the whole season, which is actually the lowest on record. And those go back to 18, the 1880s uh, consistently. So um, really weak winter. Um, and yet it got cold enough to zap a lot of the peaches. So we have kind of the worst of both worlds. We don't get the snow, but we get the, the damage there. And um, and then, yeah, you, you're right that, I mean, the spring was was wet until it wasn't. Uh, April and May started the dryness. It really intensified in June across much of the state. Uh, and, and sitting right around July 1st um, in, in my office, thinking to myself, okay, uh, it, things are looking really bad. We're on the, the precipice of like a 2012. Because um, the, the, the odd thing about this spring, and, and again, including June in that, was that it was extremely dry, but we didn't have the heat. Uh, the the flow was predominantly out of the northwest um, or just directly out of the north so it was it was fairly mild temperatures for most of of that spring and early summer it was just wasn't bringing us any rain the air was extremely dry so um, that was at least some uh, some benefit that we didn't get the the real extreme heat um, but it was still very dry very it was getting extremely dry in some places and um, I think it was Quincy that had its uh, second, second or third driest April through June on record. And again, those records going way back. So, um, and then, yeah, we, you, you're right that we caught some really beneficial rain. I mean, it, it completely saved the corn crop in, in July, not everywhere, of course, cause you can't say everybody did good this year, but, but um, I mean, there were some places that there may not have been a crop but without that. And so we caught some really beneficial rain in July um, and that was for most people. And then in August, it was it was spotty. Southern Illinois got inundated. Parts of central Illinois got some help. Northern Illinois had stayed dry. And uh, um, I think Freeport had less than an inch of rain for the whole month of August, which is, you know, about three inches below normal. So um, and then you're right. And then since then, it's it's gone back to a drier pattern outside of a few places. Um, and and, you know, when we expand beyond Illinois, um, it, it's been dry for much of the region. In fact, west of us in Missouri and Iowa, it's been even worse than what we have. And we've seen the culmination of that now in the big rivers. And we're talking about saltwater intrusion into the New Orleans municipal water supply and big issues from that. And so, um, and in places in Western Illinois and in Missouri and Iowa, this is tacking on to last year, which wasn't particularly wet. And so we've actually strung together a number of years now where it's been pretty dry. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's been an odd year as we transition from La Nina to El Nino, uh, the, those patterns. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we we, uh, we 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 come back into maybe a little bit of a normal, just quote unquote, normal spring summer pattern next year because um, you know we had that prolonged five year period of uh, 2014 2019 where it was extremely wet for the over that whole period and what we did is we flooded but we also built up our groundwater reserves and our water tables were high and things were looking okay and what we've done over the last few years is just zapped all of that and so what that means is we're coming back into this next year 2024 in a pretty vulnerable state. State as far as drought's concerned. And if things are just as dry in 2024 as they are this this year, we're going to go downhill real quick. And so that's something we want to watch for is, um, you know, the best prescription right now is a cold and snowy and wet winter, um, as much as people may not want to hear it. But, but yeah, it's definitely, it's been, been an odd year. And I was extended answer there, but that was, it, it's been a really strange year. Well, sign me up for the cold, wet, snowy winter. I was say, I like Ken those. is on board for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, me, me too. Me too. Especially <laughs> given last year, you know, it was just so terrible. Um, got a new sled and everything, and it just, you know, couldn't didn't see the light of day. 
And uh, so I think, I think, you know, I, I, unfortunately the outlooks that as they are now aren't necessarily painting that picture, but as we can talk about, maybe um, there's some, there's some reason to perhaps doubt some of the outlooks a little bit. So. So Trent, I know you, you do work a lot with farmers and you mentioned how that July rain really came in and saved the day. Um, but yeah, it's weird. July is usually dry for us and it was our rainy season. So, um, but driving, I, I recently went over to Champaign from Macomb last week and I saw just some incredible variability still, even in the, in the different crops, especially in Mason County where it's mostly sand soil. So it dries out very quickly there. Um, the, some of the corn crops, especially on the edges of all the, that center pivot irrigation, they look pretty rough. Um, but have you gotten any feedback or any responses from, uh, maybe our farmers this year about that, that status of crops, what's harvest starting to shape into what's uh, happening out there in the fields? Yeah, you know, right now it's kind of the early reports, and and it seems like every year it's it's the variability is there. Um, where where there are some folks around here, uh, in 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 East Central Illinois, around the Champaign area, who are doing so far the early reports are pretty good on on corn. Um, especially, you know, it's all about pretty good with respect to the per, the perspective there. So when we're looking at July first. And some people are wondering if if they're even going to make it to September. If they're not going to have to chop for silage before then. Um, it looks pretty good. Um, but even even beyond that, some folks are talking about above line above trend yields uh, in some places. Now it's again it's spotty, and it's likely going to be that way because um, when we're dry, just consistently dry, like a 2012 or an 88, everybody's hurting and it's pretty easy to forecast yields. Um, and when we're extremely wet, it's sort of the same way. But this year we were dry and then some folks got some relief, but not others. And so, yeah, you're going to see that um, the the heavier soils, the higher water holding capacity, those healthier soils are going to do a lot better than some of the lighter soils, like you mentioned, the sand in Mason County that isn't irrigated. Um, so I think variability is going to be the, the the key word, but statewide, it seems like so far Illinois is um, doing doing a little bit better than maybe there was expectations in in July. Um, but it'll be interesting because you know, like I said, further west in Iowa and Missouri, they um, they were a lot drier than us, and they didn't get the relief in July as much, and certainly not in August. And so um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the how the whole kind of crop shapes up um, as we get you know October November. And I've been just kind of I've been a fanboy of the U.S. Drought Monitor this year. I feel like it's uh, number one Google search for me. So um, I, I've just been watching it constantly, and uh, I, I have noticed that like Western Illinois, especially Quincy, as you mentioned, they just seem to be on that that cusp of extreme drought all summer long. It go it gets there and it kind of edges its way back out at illinois but it just seems to be that's where it seems to be entering the state yeah it just can't that so so i'm i'm i lead the team for the drought monitor weekly updates and and it's the drought monitor author's job to actually draw the lines but we give them recommendations from the state of illinois we work with partners in missouri and iowa and all of our border states and um and yeah you're right i mean it was one of those things where where um quincy strung along a, a drier year um and and they just could not get enough rain to really justify pulling back those lines and anytime you'd, you'd go from like an extreme drought to a severe drought a d3 to a d2 or a d2 to a d1 
then they'd go into a two-week period where they get wouldn't get any rain and here would come right back again you know advancing over the river so um yeah it was just one of those things where they just could not not string enough rain together to really get them out of drought um and and like i mentioned that part of the state quincy to maybe just west of jacksonville uh not not quite far far jacksonville that area has been it hasn't just been a dry year we can really go back to maybe 18 to 24 months now of of Mm -hmm. some some pretty significant dryness just not getting enough rain to keep up with climatology um and so you know it's it's what that means is again those 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 groundwater reserves the water table is down in those places quite a bit and so it just takes a lot of time and a lot of wet weather to bring it back up so in addition to the to the drought another thing that's been talked about a lot weather wise is um el nino um being like strong this year so i guess for for listeners that aren't familiar with el nino what is el nino and and kind of how is that going to influence our weather here in the midwest potentially yeah this has been a big thing um as so we we've we've transitioned so the last three winters we've been in la nina uh, triple dip La Nina, which is which is sort of the other phase of of the El Nino Southern Oscillation, and now we're, we've transitioned to an El Nino. Uh, and you're right, that's all the talk when it comes to weather. What what El Nino is is one phase of the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which is just a two to seven year pattern of variability in sea surface temperatures out in the out in the tropical Pacific. Um, and in, during El Nino year, there's uh, unusually warm uh, sea surface temperatures. Um, moving from off the coast of South America across the tropical Pacific um, to like around Tahiti and uh, where that warm water is and how warm that water is uh, can uh, affect where the the dominant jet streams in the Northern hemisphere flow and therefore kind of our, our weather and climate and the largest impact climatologically from El Nino or La Nina on our weather here in Illinois is in the wintertime. Uh, so that's where it really kind of comes into its own. Um, so now knowing that okay we're in El Nino the forecasts show that El Nino will likely stick with us if not intensify um throughout the winter and the fall uh what that tends to bring i say tends doing a lot of work there but what it tends to bring is a warmer and drier overall winter um across the state of Illinois now what that means that tendency is you take all of the El Ninos that have happened over the last 50 or 70 years or so and you average them together and that 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 average is a three month average temperature and a three month total rainfall or, or precipitation total. And so, um, what that means is is that the tendency is that kind of warmer, drier than normal conditions. However, El Nino is just one important, but it's just one uh, thing that's affecting our our climate this fall or this winter. And so, um, the variability from year to year, the uh, the variability across El Nino years is really important to acknowledge because, um, you know, the opposite phase, the La Nina phase tends to bring us cooler and sometimes wetter than normal conditions, especially across Southern Illinois. And we saw from last year, we didn't have that in the wintertime. It was a very warm winter and it was, um, it wasn't excessively wet and certainly we didn't get that much snow. So what that means is, is that uh, we use El Nino to give us some mode of prediction because people want to know what's coming. Um, and certainly for things like energy companies of how much heating energy they're going to need, things like that can be helpful. Uh, but um, with that being said, the tendency of warmer and drier doesn't necessarily hold true for this year. Uh, in fact, I hope it doesn't. Uh, because that's really not what we need. We could use a cooler, uh, wetter 
winter. Um, but that's kind of what we're looking at for El Nino. So, um, so, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what that, how it plays out, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, Noah's, uh, official winter outlooks come out next month in October. And I would not be surprised if it shows that warmer and perhaps drier pattern over much of Illinois, because they're really leaning into El Nino. Cause it's just one, one mode that they can kind of hang on to uh, and say, okay, this gives us some indication of what we could see. So that's what I mentioned. Like, uh, you know, you see that the the red map or the, the brown map showing warmer or drier. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're locked into that. We we read into that, that this is a tendency, but there's a lot of variability on top of it. So we kind of have to see how winter shapes out, um, which I know is not a, uh, a really satisfying answer, but unfortunately that's the, that's the, that's the uh, world of, of climate prediction when we're looking, you know, two or three months ahead of time. It depends. It's our favorite. It phrase. depends is a great, yeah, <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Isn't that one oh, answer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it depends. Like what, what tree should I plant here? Well, that depends, you know, and yeah, um, it's <laughs> yeah. the same thing here. It depends on lots and lots of things. Um, so yeah, it'll it'll it it'll definitely be interesting. One thing I know though, one thing we like to I like to kind of key in on is what is already existing. What's already existing is some very dry soils across the Midwest. So what that means is is that if we don't want to go into the spring in a bit of a water deficit, it then we need some some solid we need some good rain and before soils freeze and we need uh, a good snowpack that that mm-hmm. lasts a decent long time and also melts rather gradually. So we don't see the same kind of uh, flooding issues we saw in uh, last spring. A few things, as you said, like you had mentioned, we had a, had a kind of a more prolonged drought, you know, not just this year, but the year prior. And I remember you've been on the show uh, a few times before and you did teach me my favorite uh, term ever, thermal inertia. Um, <laughs> and, but how we, we've talked about We've been seeing, on average, a typically more drier fall, um, but last year was very dry, and our our trees, you know, our perennials, they went into winter in kind of a water deficit. It was dry, and then is just rehashing what we've already said: not much snow, warmer than normal, and then spring was dry. So, I well, the like the annual field crops. That's one thing. The perennial trees. It's uh, if if we don't get much moisture here, it's going to be another going into winter, uh, another winter in a deficit, I would say. So it's very interest, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, no, it's hard. It's hard. And, and, and the thing is, is that um, trying to study, I mean, we're we're oh, we have a project right now trying to study the impact of drought on trees and urban environments. So you take all of that complexity and then add the complexity of being in an urban environment. It's, it's yeah. incredibly complicated. But um. But you're right. I mean, when when you have okay, you know, you had drought impacts in the corn. Maybe your top end yield was taken off. Okay, next year plant and hope that you'll get rain next year. Right, not too big a deal. But the the drought effect on trees or on other perennials are, are um, is cumulative, like you mentioned. And so, um, you know, one thing that we may not see. What I noticed around the neighborhood that I live in is that um, you know, of course, everybody in the dog has a maple, at least one. Some have three um, that they plant, and the young ones, a lot of them lost leaves um, in early, like like July. You can see just defoliation. Uh, those that maybe that tree will come back next year um, and and leaf out, but 
you're right that if we go winter, another dry winter or going to fall with these big deficits, we don't get enough of that. That's almost, um, and we go again, hopefully not, but go again dry in the spring and summer, you know, you may see this kind of delayed reaction um, where the, the, the level of mortality is higher than what we maybe expect given the level of drought. So um, it is really complex, but, but that is to say that the, the, the plants, the perennials that can accumulate over years, these deficits, um, you know, given our current pattern could be a bit more vulnerable to drought than what we'd expect coming into next year. Um, so I guess that, I guess, I mean, you all are the, are the experts on this, but maybe that means we need to watch those trees and those perennials a bit closer um, come spring to make sure we're not seeing signs of that. And Trent, you had also mentioned uh, NOAA is going to have their predictions coming out in October. I think in a previous message, we had, we had been talking and you said CPC, which is the Climate Prediction Center. Is that? Yeah. Yep. They do they are is that the same thing or do they have their own separate report? Yeah, so they so it's a bit different. So the the, the climate prediction center um, is part of NOAA. They're part of uh, of, of the National Weather Service. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of funny. So they'll they issue they're the official source of climate prediction for the for the federal government, and they issue at the end of each month, um, and and then the kind of the middle of each month they'll issue outlooks that go from week two, so just two weeks out, all the way to six or nine months out. The six or nine month outlooks you don't even look at, right? Because like mm -hmm. it's, it's 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 just it's not not very skillful. But um they will issue a three month kind of a, a two or three month outlook. And so right now what we have is the latest outlook for December, January, February, which is what we consider as climatological winter. Now, the reason that we haven't heard a lot about it in the media is because they don't advertise it yet as the official winter prediction or winter forecast, because we're still a full two months out before we even get into winter. So what they'll do in October is they'll issue that kind of outlook. And it'll be from the Climate Prediction Center, but NOAA will package it as here's the official winter. And it's just kind of to get media, not only to get media attention, but to say, oh, here's what we're looking at for winter. But but we can look at right now uh, the 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 December, January, February outlook from the Climate Prediction Center that was released last week. And what it shows is kind of what I mentioned. It's very El Nino-y. It's warm across the northern U.S. Um, and dry across the the Great Lakes and and the Ohio Valley for December, January, and February. Um, and, and that is, I mean, it's quintessential El Nino. And the reason it is, is because right now El Nino is one of the few things that the Climate Prediction Center experts can pull from to say, we have some skill in this. We don't necessarily know what the Arctic is going to be doing. We don't know what other, you know, what, what the Atlantic looks like or how much snow is going to be across Eurasia or Siberia, which is, by the way, a really important determinant for our winter weather here is how much snow or if there's any snow across Siberia. So all of those things play in, but we can't forecast that real well. So we have to hang on to El Nino. So that's why right now when we look at that outlook, um, it's it's looking very El Nino-ish, which means warm and dry for us. And unless something changes dramatically, uh, which is good, but unless it does, um, October, the official winter will outlooks will probably look that way too yeah and so you're talking about polar polar weather conditions of polar vortexes atlantic which could be hurricanes nor'easters and then of course i didn't even think about the landmass of siberia and how that influences it, it our plays weather a huge role in how you know because snow will cool that overlying atmosphere so effectively uh, even snow in the northern great plains can affect how deep that jet stream will dig for a low pressure system how high it'll ride for a ridge i mean it's really important and so uh sort of like the dry soil effect that we have 
during the summertime here where once that soil dries out, boy, we can heat up real fast. And so yeah. um, it, it really does play an important role. Never would have thought of that. So <laughs> I learned something new today. So uh, sticking kind of that climate theme here, is there any question about the Earth's climate, past, present, or future that keeps you up at night? Oh, question about... Um, Oh gosh. Uh yeah, the um I mean the 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 future is definitely I I don't know if it keeps me up at night. I'm one of those people who could probably sleep through anything just cuz I I need that, but <laughs> it does it does bother me a little bit to to some of these things that we talk about with climate change and 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 future 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 changes in the exposure or or perhaps the the uh, the risk of some of these hazards or or changes in the environment that could make things more complicated for our health or environmental health um you know uh, uh non-native or invasive species in in in, in incursion um increased frequency of extreme heat um flooding issues and flooding issues outside of mapped floodplains flooding issues related to things like just overwhelmed stormwater drainage systems and things like that um you know all the impacts that kind of add up from that and our society's ability or maybe inability to deal with those things in a proper way um is 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 concerning um there's hope there's a lot of hope there's a lot of good work being done um but uh but that that's one of the things. And I think I think the biggest thing that keeps me up is is extreme heat. That that's one of those things that we the projections are pretty solid. The trends are in, in, are consistent. We know that we're going to get more heat waves, more extreme heat in Illinois across across all the U.S. But in Illinois is where my focus is. And uh, right now we're just not equipped to deal with that. Um, and and so how we design our environments, and I mean like built environments, but also kind of nature based environments. Um, is really important uh, for for kind of the how well how how well we can reduce our vulnerability to extreme heat, um, and so that's one of those things that um, you know uh, it's it's sort of an if not a when when we get these kind of big heat wave events and uh, or, I'm sorry so it's a when not an if uh, and um, just trying to kind of keep on it with communication of this is something that is is happening and we need to really get ahead of it to make sure that we're not looking at um, one of these types of big heat wave events where we're seeing mass mortality and things like that because because heat deaths are entirely preventable so um, it's not a freak accident right we know these things are happening we know how to prevent deaths it's just a matter of putting those things in place so i think that's probably the number one thing when it comes to the climate that um you know has me has me a bit concerned but again there's a lot of hope there's a lot and the solutions are in front of us just a matter of putting them in place i don't know if that answers yeah. your question or not that's a i think so i think it was a Pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Another thing, real quick, one other thing uh, that sort of uh, bothers me is, um, and this is this is maybe less concerning for society overall, but maybe a Trent thing, is uh, an increased frequency of winters like what we had last year. That was really depressing, to be honest with you. Um, growing up in, in central Illinois, uh, I'm used to snow, not certainly not like Duluth snow, but snow nonetheless. And, and, um, I, I guess one thing we don't talk about a lot is the cultural uh, importance of certain things, uh, of certain parts of the weather and climate. And snow in the wintertime is, I think, really culturally important for a lot of people in the Midwest. 
Um, maybe some people would just rather not have it at all. That's fine. Um, but but for me, and, and so so looking at projections of more winters like that with milder temperatures and very little snowfall, um, there's a there's a mental aspect to it, an emotional aspect to it that that uh, and again, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it was um, it, multiple times last winter, I thought to myself, is this how most years in the next 50 years are going to be like? And if so, that's that's unfortunate, you know, you remember when I first moved to Florida that first Christmas down there and it was 70 degrees. I was like, this sucks. It does. <laughs> There's, yeah. It should be cold and snowy. Yeah. I felt the same way. The first fall that I was in central Texas, it was like the, the, the leaves were still green. And like you said, it was like 80 degrees. <laughs> what, what in the world? This doesn't even, you can't put on a sweater. There's no reason to have a fire because it's already hot. So yeah, it's, it's, there is the cultural aspect of the weather I think is, is always under, underappreciated. Yes. My, my wife always wants to go to the beach for the holidays. I'm like, it's just doesn't, doesn't fit in my life. Yeah. It has to be cold. Like yeah. Michigan has a beach. That's true. Yes. We can <laughs> go there. Yes. There you go. She can have her beach. I can have my cold. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, yeah. it kind of in the, in the same vein, Trent, maybe it's the same question. I'm just re-asking it. Um, but what's the most common question that, that you get as a state climatologist yeah um other than uh is it gonna rain right mm-hmm. um like uh how much rain we get especially this you know the the growing season now it's like are we getting any rain please don't make it rain because we're trying to get harvest done um other than the rain question um it, it is about climate change uh what does it mean um you know uh, what, what's it, what's it doing in Illinois? What, what are we, what are we seeing? What does it matter? Not why does it matter? Like, like a challenge of, it doesn't matter, but, but, you know, tell us why, what, how we're going to be impacted by this and that sort of thing. I think that's probably the, the, certainly from like a public speaking standpoint, when, when folks reach out and ask for me to come and talk about any aspect of weather and climate, it's almost always about climate change, what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, that's, that's, that's most, the most common question. Um, and, and so what's fun about that, it was not fun about that is it's, it's, it's usually bad news. Uh, what's fun about it though, is that, um, you get, I get to become a little mini expert in like, what's mm-hmm. the impact of climate change on wastewater infrastructure today. And then tomorrow we're going to do what's the, what's the impact of climate change on peach growers and what's the impact of climate change on, you know, um, I don't know, transportation logistics or what, well, you know, and, and so to do that, I can't just give the same presentation all the time. Um, obviously because you know, it's going to mean different things to different people. And so, so then you have to, I have to basically dig into like, industry or sector reports right like okay what do what do peach growers truly care about and 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 what is it that that i can link to climate change to make it make sense or wastewater you know folks or whatever um and and that's fun it can be frustrating sometimes and sometimes i miss really badly i mean sometimes it's like they don't care about that at all but um but a lot of times it's 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 enjoyable because um because there's so many you know, you, you get you get a good perspective of how encompassing the climate is and the change in climate is and and um, and how many how many people it affects. So that that's um, like I said, I don't enjoyable is a weird way to put it, but it's it's a it's a it's an exciting part of the job, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Like with uh, Ken has taught me that insects affect everybody in so many different ways. So thanks, Ken, for that your your insect knowledge so i used to not care about bugs before i worked with ken 
now I actually take pictures of them and I pay attention to them. <laughs> and of course, climate influences all that too. And so it's all, it's all interconnected and they all play with each other. And so it's, it's pretty, it's fun to see those strings come together. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Bugs, bugs connect everything, don't they? I mean, it's they do. talk about frightening uh, a, a collapse of the insect, you know, ecosystem is, is frightening when yeah. it doesn't seem like it's that bad. Right. Uh, like, oh, I just, I just don't want mosquitoes around. Right. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. if you don't want that, then this animal goes away and then everybody's getting diseases X, Y, and Z. And, you know, and so it's, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Was it in someone in Sacramento was in, in China, they removed all the sparrows because they're trying <clears throat> back in the forties and, and stuff, maybe earlier, removed all the sparrows because stopped eating uh, crops and stuff and then the insects population exploded and they had famines because there's nothing eating the mosquitoes where the sparrows used to so everything is connected yeah see that's that's beautiful yeah so I, before we we end on on that lovely note um uh trent i i did want to ask you you know we've there are a few uh you know citizen science programs out there community science programs out there um one that i'm familiar with is coco Raz, but i think you have a few others that you also work with um so any ways that people can get involved in uh, collecting uh, data for climate science yeah absolutely so i want to just hit up coco ross again coco ross is a, a citizen science uh just precipitation monitoring you you put up a rain gauge the rain gauge is 35 dollars uh it's a it's a it's a guarantee it's more accurate than whatever you get at the farm show the free one um and uh it's uh you measure it daily and you put it into your either your phone the app on their phone or or online and uh it comes up to a public website and so people can see how much rain fell at your place but how much rainfall all over and what it does is augments the measurements from the national weather service because we can't put stations everywhere but people live everywhere. So, mm -hmm. um, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, just, uh, uh, last week, about a week ago, um, there was a big, uh, kind of a training thunderstorm I means where storms just coming, coming, coming over, over kind of the South end of the Chicagoland area and areas around Calumet city were estimated to get, um, in some cases over nine inches of rain in a very short period of time, but we didn't have any national weather service stations there. We don't have any Coco Ross stations there. And so unfortunately we couldn't verify that that much rain fell. Uh, and that affects our forecast accuracy, our flood forecast accuracy, our, our, our disaster um, recovery and funding for that. So, you know, Coco Ross means a huge thing. So um, definitely if, if you're already measuring rainfall or you're interested in weather or you're gardening, um, you need to be measuring rain and uh, Coco Ross is is, is a really great way to do that. So C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S.org. That's a great program. The other program I want to mention is the CMOR. CMOR is the Condition Monitoring Observer Report System from the National Climate or the um, National Drought Mitigation Center. It is a way that folks can report drought impacts um, uh, around around where they live. Uh, and it's it goes directly to the National Drought Mitigation Center. So when I'm putting in my recommendations uh, for the drought monitor, um, I can pull in those reports because, you know, I'm looking at maps of rainfall and 
soil moisture estimates and things like that. But I don't truly know if that soil moisture estimate means that it's extremely dry or means that that trees are dying around your area. And obviously, it's a, Illinois is a big state, and I try to get around as much as possible, but it's, it's hard uh, to, to know what's going on in Quincy when I'm in Champaign, for example. So Seymour is a great way to link up the maps that I'm looking at with the impact reports to say, hey, if we're missing something, this is this is a really good way to, to do that. And I use it every week. Um, this time of the year, uh, we start to see that drought impact even if we're still in a drought, we start to see those impact reports decline because people aren't seeing the effects on the plants. It's not obvious the lawn is dead because it's always dead. The corn's picked. We're all done. Um, but but winter is a really important time. So if you are if you know how how high your stock pond should be and it's really low, or how high the local creek should be and it's really low, those are really important things. If you're seeing more cardinal activity or redheaded woodpecker activity because around uh, you know your heated uh, bird baths because there's not a whole lot of, of water around, that's important impact. To, to note as well. So uh, the the website people can go to is go.illinois.edu slash Seymour, C-M-O-R. And just to just put in, you don't have to sign up for anything, just put in your impact report where you are and, and it's uh, it goes directly to the National Drought Mitigation Center. So those are two really great, um, really great citizen science initiatives that um, it, it's not just something like, oh, hey, we're doing science, yay, but it's actually directly in, in, improving our weather monitoring and forecasting. Excellent. And we will put a link to that also below in the show notes so people can can link directly from this to the Seymour uh, reporting system. Um, and Trent, we will have your email down there as well in case people want to reach out to you with with questions or um, if they want to, you know, ask what you're up to next. And so or complain. Um, right. Yeah. I can there you complain go. Complain about what's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yep. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, and and be, even before the show, uh, Ken and I were complaining to Trent about just the weather in general. So, uh, Ken, looks like we're going to be having those hoses out for a little bit longer, watering the plants that we just put in the ground. Yes, sir. We're bubbling around Jacksonville. This strong this year. <laughs> yeah, all power to that force field. So, um, well, that was a lot of great information about the weather this year, the upcoming possible climate, especially when we look at El Nino and how is that going to affect us this winter? Uh, and it, it's a big, it depends uh, on on all of that there. So it's it's um, it's always kind of fun and exciting to watch how it how it actually does evolve out and 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 shape into being the weather that we actually experience. So I'm excited and hopeful we'll get some rain and uh, copious amounts of snow. So <laughs> hopefully, yes. Um, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. A special thanks to uh, Trent Ford for being with us uh, once again. Thank you again, Trent, for being here uh, this week to talk with us all about weather, climate, and uh, you know, letting us know what to expect. So uh, at least I have my expectations, and um, and I, I won't be disappointed uh, if it starts raining. That's right. Well, thank you again. Uh, yeah, and it's always great to be on. And and uh, yeah, send your send your uh, impacts and your your complaints to me. <laughs> he has the power to make it all change. That's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> and Ken, thank you very much for being with me this week. Uh, I do appreciate you hanging out with me every single week. Yes, thank you, Trent. I'm going to pay more attention to Siberia now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, <laughs> let's do this again next week. 
Oh, we shall do this again next week. We're going to be talking with Nathan Johanning all about picking out that perfect pumpkin as we get into October. So uh, that should be a fun show. Uh, knock on your pumpkin, everybody. No, not really. Nathan's not going to tell you to do that. Uh, but we will tell you how to pick out those pumpkins. So uh, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing. Does he tell us to knock on the pumpkin? He doesn't say that, does he? That's watermelon. Okay. How do you? Yeah. I I always thought it was cantaloupe. Yeah. 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 That's melons. That's something else.